You are live with Get Connected. Well, live from my home studio anyway. Well, uh, there has been uh, many different articles and, and theories uh, surrounding the coronavirus uh, over the several uh, months that uh, it's been going on. Uh, in today's show, we'll be exploring uh, what is fact and what is fiction uh, when it comes to online content. But a good majority of people are still getting their facts from TV news. Uh, according to one survey, 60% of people get their COVID-19 facts from uh, watching the news. Uh, on the line, uh, we want to talk to our good friend, Chris Galis. He is uh, the anchor over at uh, Global News here in BC. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Uh, hi, my pleasure, Mike. Good to be with you. I wanted to get you on the line. Uh, we're Facebook friends as well, uh, and you've uh, made a few posts uh, about some of this misinformation happening out uh, there. I think one uh, great example would be that documentary that's been stripped off of YouTube and every other social site, Plandemic. How much information or misinformation is bombarding you as a journalist on a daily basis? Like, How do you sort the fact from fiction? Well, i got to be honest. The reaction to you know me making that post about Plandemic, which... in included a link to another article that explains why the subject of pandemic, the discredited Dr. Judy Mikovits, I think is her name, has been, uh, why she's been discredited, why she has very little credibility, why this is not a true documentary, and the ways that it manipulates people into believing whatever it is that she is trying to tell. And the reaction on Facebook was surprising to me it was like opening up the gates of hell as you saw and some of the criticism and uh you know most pointed commentary came from guys i've known almost my whole life a lot of them in alberta that's where i grew up and a lot of friends are there but these are guys i haven't talked to in 20 years and so they're parroting a lot of the phrases the ideology that you hear in conspiracy theorists, uh, on conspiracy theorist websites, and that we hear President Trump say on a regular basis, fake news, media is the virus, um, and believing point blank that what they saw in this documentary pandemic is true. And, and Mikovits makes some kind of claim that, you know, she's an anti-vaxxer and that COVID-19 and the response to it is all part of a larger plan. She accuses Dr. Fauci in the United States, who's running the U.S. response to the pandemic, uh, accusing him of being part of some great plot that she never quite articulates. And so, yeah, it's a, it's amazing the reaction that got on Facebook when I just said, look, before you share this thing on, really take a look at who's behind it, what their credentials really are. And that really grew out of the fact that the pandemic, the link to that, was shared among a mother's Facebook group from our school. These are well-educated, smart people who were passing it on going, hey, I don't know if this is true or not, but you know, maybe you want to watch it. And, uh, and it, it only takes a few clicks through websites, news organizations that have credible sources of information to find out that it's complete and total bunk but you know it aligns with a certain point of view that people want to follow so you can't show your face at your kid's school anymore is that what you're saying well we we we, we have taken the position that listen and it's about education right yeah. like that's really what it's about it's about education and educating people about okay look at what are the motivations of people who are 
spreading this information, this misinformation. And if you follow them, I mean, it was obvious in pandemic, one of the motivations was she was trying to sell a book. So it's part of a marketing plan to sell books and get money. And if you follow the money in many instances, you'll understand that it's very often uh, a ploy to, for people to make money either through a, through a book or through Patreon or some other way that they can commodify their point of view and get suckers to buy into it. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people's bullshit meters, Mike, if I can use that word, a lot of people's bullshit meters are broken these days. And, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around why that's true. Like, how have we become so gullible? Why do we disbelieve science? Why do we, why are we losing trust in governments? Why are we so cynical about the systems that exist and have done very well in creating a strong, stable economy and society? I'm, I'm still trying to unwrap that. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the people that uh, watch these types of uh, videos and documentaries, their argument is, well, we should be able to be exposed to other people's opinions. But it's an opinion, right? It, I mean, we've got to look at science first, don't we? Well, I agree with you. And, and look, there are a lot of flat earthers and chemtrail experts out there who think that their point of view is as valid as a well-researched, scientifically established fact. And, you know, we know the Earth is round for hundreds of years. This has been proven true. No credible scientist or anybody else would say that the Earth is flat. So, yes, there is an opposing point of view out there among a small group of people, but just because it runs counter to established science doesn't mean or just because it's another point of view doesn't mean that we're obligated in any way to give it equal coverage because it's an opposing point of view. We have an obligation to provide coverage of the correct point of view based on common knowledge, science, credible sources of information. That's, that's what our jobs are. And it's, is it perfect? Do we make mistakes sometimes? Is the whole COVID experience a, a kind of a moving target as we m learn more about this infection? Absolutely. Decisions that were made back in January cannot be judged based on what we know today. But, you know, over the arc of time and over the, the knowledge that we're learning about it and that science is learning about it, people much smarter than you and I, Mike, are studying this thing the full weight of the immunological sciences are looking at this thing. I'm going to trust them <laughs> before I trust somebody who's trying to sell a book and is already a discredited anti-vaxxer who, yes, did some research, but the results of that research could never be replicated by any other scientists in any other lab. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to do some research and, and believe to a certain extent in established scientific principles. Simple as that. Chris, my last question here, uh, you know, you as a journalist, uh, you know, obviously you have a huge responsibility to get the facts right, but there is like, I mean, there's like a waterfall of information coming at you. Like how do you decipher what's true and, and what's not and, and get this out in a timely fashion? Everybody has an angle 
And our jobs are to limit that as much as we can, leave us on the shelf, and try as much as we are capable, and with our training as professional journalists, leave those biases behind. And and most people, and I'm glad to hear you say at the beginning of this that 60% of people are getting their information from local news. I trust myself. I trust the people I work with. I think we live and work in the same cities as our viewers. Our children go to the same schools. We're part of this community. We wanted to succeed. And we have no other skin in the game other than trying to be good citizens 99.9% of the time. And I think that's all we can promise people that we're working hard for them and trying to get the right answers. We're talking with Chris Galis from Global News. Uh, he's one of the uh, evening news anchors uh, about uh, TV news's responsibility when it comes to delivering correct information around things like the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Good to talk to you, Mike. Take care. We're going to take the conversation to the online world now, and that's where a lot of this conspiracy crap is propagating and, and literally exploding. We'll be talking with the folks at COVID19misinfo.org. This is a fantastic website that uh, basically debunks any facts that are incorrect, tells you what's right and what's wrong. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. want to continue uh, talking about misinformation especially when it comes to the online world. We're going to be talking with uh, a couple gentlemen behind uh, an excellent website. It's called COVID19misinfo.org. On the line, we have two of the, uh, the gentlemen behind it, uh, Anatoly Gruzd and Philip Mai. Thanks for joining us, guys. Hello. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about your website. How did this come about? So this website came around early March when um, the uh, WHO declared the... Um, COVID-19 as a pandemic. So the Canadian government put out a call for proposal uh, from medical professionals and other researchers um, in communications and uh, technology to basically help to combat the infodemic that they uh, saw was coming against uh, this pandemic. And we were one of the team uh, with colleagues from Royal Rose University that put in a proposal and our part of the proposal was basically to um, take a look at and document the type of misinformation that are um, going around. The goal of the project is to basically learn from this particular pandemic and see if we can come up with mitigating um, um, things that we can do to help reduce the impact of the misinformation on uh, work of public health officials but also to learn so that there will be future pandemics in the, in the future. And we want to be able to basically use this as an opportunity to also learn so that next time when something else like this roll around, we have things in place that we can implement right away. So what are the ultimate goals to, to make sure that uh, the public has the right information? So one of the goals that um, you know, Philip explained is to document what's happening, what kinds of misinformation being shared by whom, on what platforms, and is it really effective? Uh, that's a bigger research goal for us. But another important key aspect of this project is to kind of inform and educate uh, Canadians about the types of misinformation that is out there. I hope that by kind of looking at existing patterns of misinformation and looking at examples of uh, false and misleading claims, 
Canadians can kind of learn uh, similar patterns and recognize them in the future messages they might get from their friends, family members, or strangers to so social media. Kind of a part of their digital media hygiene. Uh, I want to talk about a few of the examples that you guys are covering, but um, how are you discerning from fact and, and fiction. Are you guys doing that? Are you getting that information from other sources? We ourselves are not fact checkers, but there are a network of fact checkers around the world that are part of media organizations of universities who focus specifically uh, on uh, debunking uh, claims. So what they've done is they do their thing and they are part of uh, the Google fact-checking tool, which basically is uh, an initiative by Google to aggregate all of their, uh, the various fact-checkers work from around the world into one single database. And then they created an API that allows researchers like Anatoly and myself at the Social Media Lab to get access to that API and then work with the data coming from these various fact-checkers. Yeah, just to add uh, that because these are all different uh, fact-checking organizations from different countries, often driven by journalists, we find they have different standards and different ways they categorize claims. What are some examples? You, you said, uh, you know, these different fact-checkers fact checkers use different standards. Like, how? Are they saying, this is true, this is false? Do they have a rating system? Is that what you're you're getting at? Exactly. So each claim that has been fact-checked uh, will get a, a kind of score. And some may have a rating, uh, let's say, how false uh, how false the information is. It could be completely false, partially false, or par partially true. Some will, will say, uh, you know, misleading. Some will say misguided. Some will say there's an error uh, or misquotation. Uh, so as a result, having all these different rankings, it's actually quite confusing. We're talking uh, with two gentlemen behind the COVID-19misinfo.org website, a fantastic resource to check the facts about COVID-19. If you're reading something on Facebook or Twitter or the web and you want to know if it's real or not, this is the website to go to. Uh, you have a you have dashboards uh, up on, on the website. How do these work? So we have a couple of dashboards on uh, the uh, COVID-19 misinfo portal. The primary one is the one that we've been talking about, which is gathering all the fact check claims put in one place. So you can come and search to see what currently floating around the internet and on social media on a particular day. Uh, you can see what was floating around, let's say, three weeks ago. And then we also have another um, dashboard that specifically look at how Canadian uh, media is covering COVID-19. So it tracks and keeps track of every single uh, misinformation-related story by uh, major Canadian news sources in Canada. Because, for example, places like uh, the CBC now has a dedicated unit that a couple of uh, reporters who beat during this time is to cover COVID-19 misinformation. And other media outlets have done the same. So we gather all their work again in one place. So this way, if you miss any of the stories, you can see it all in one place. And then another one that we have is a bot check dashboard for those folks who use Twitter. We capture every single tweet that contained the word coronavirus or the word COVID. And then we look at how likely it is that the account tweeting with that hashtag or those hashtags are um, using automation. But it could be that uh, somebody is using some form of automation to um, gain or amplify their message. And we want to bring that into the spotlight. Here are the top 50 accounts tweeting about coronavirus. 
of those 50s, here are the ones that are probably using some form of automation. So this way, it gives you a chance to zero in and say, okay, are they, is everything hunky-dory or is, are they doing something funny? One of the reasons, of course, to look for automation is because previous research indicated these type of accounts that may be part of a, a bot network that propagates certain false claims and misinformation. Are, are you able to discern with the, the Twitter bots, for example, but I would assume it would be also the same thing for Facebook posts and even YouTube videos, the origins of some of this stuff and whether or not it's originating from Canada or is that still too difficult to determine, uh, you know, who's behind some of these uh, false information campaigns? We really can't. So that's one of the thing that, you know, that old meme from the 90s about on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Um, <laughs> it's still true today. The platforms themselves have a lot more information. They have information about when that account was set up, uh, the time frame, the IP address, and so on. Um, so they have a, a lot more information. Us as um, researchers from the outside looking in, we don't have that information. Um, but what so, we do have... Um, yeah to add is information about whether certain, uh, certain memes, certain posts or image uh, been portrayed as if it's taken, let's say, in Canada. But in fact, uh, we can see that the picture, the video, uh, it's an old uh, content that was maybe taken in Mexico or somewhere in Europe. So you can see a lot of that. You certainly mm -hmm. can't really say for sure who are the people or bots behind that type of uh, dissemination. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we'll find out how you can stop the spread of misinformation by simply reporting it. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler talking about COVID misinformation with the uh, gentleman over at the COVID19misinfo.org website. Got a, a lot more to talk about here, including things like uh, what uh, do... Reporting uh, bad facts on Twitter have to do with crying babies in orphanages. You uh, have done a survey up on your website that I found very interesting. Uh, and you made an infographic uh, out of it as well uh, to make it even easier for me to <laughs> wrap my head around uh, some of this. Uh, who was the survey sent out to first before we get into some of these facts? Uh, the survey was sent out to uh, 1,500 Canadian adults. Uh, who use internet, and we wanted to know uh, where they get information and news about COVID-19 uh, and whether or not they encounter misinformation on social media. And if they do, w what do they do about it? So what? So some of the, I'm, I'm going to just say some of the interesting facts uh, or, or uh, some of the results of this uh, survey. 60% um, of those surveyed said uh, their preferred medium to get COVID-19 news was 60% was television, which I, I found very interesting, especially with the amount of uh, younger people, millennials, tuning out of TV and you know going to online sources. 53% uh, said news websites and apps. 29% said they prefer to get their COVID-19 news from radio. 23% from print, like newspapers. And 22%, thank God, uh, from social media. So it seems like the traditional forms of journalism still uh, are, are the most preferred mediums to get this news. This survey basically reflects what other surveys have shown is that during a uh, time of crisis, people um, consumption changes. For example, the crisis is a fast moving story. So as a result, it's difficult for print, for example, to keep up at times. So people know that 
TV is where it's at for fast-moving stories. That's why, for example, when a hurricane is blowing through、um, a state, people turn on their TV to watch the weatherman, you know, with his umbrella up,、uh, um, turned upside down, simply because they know it's now, now, not now, ten minutes ago. So I think that's one of the reasons why, when we are asking people、um, in this survey about this specific type of misinformation, COVID-19, because it was so new, it was only a month and a half in when we asked people this. So as a result, I think that's why you're seeing the the answer that、uh, it's 60% television.、Um, the other reason uh, potentially、mm-hmm. is because、uh, public health officials and uh, elected uh, officials made a point to have press conferences that televised that、mm-hmm. uh, in in real time,、right. and、uh, Canadians kind of know to expect when, let's say, our prime minister will be speaking,、mm-hmm. when our premier will be speaking. And、uh, so I think that also adds to the viewership for the te- television. Yep. The question, of course,、uh, as Philip said, we don't know if that habit will will stay or not. But I think it's a it's nice to see that Canadians are turning to credible、uh, news sources via television and other、uh, channels rather than potentially to、uh, misleading information that's being shared on social media. One of the things that you uh, polled uh, people about in this survey,、uh, I found this very interesting as well. the the trust in the accuracy of news about COVID nineteen. So when they're getting news from these different sources, you know how much did they trust them? And so when we look at、uh, public service or government ministries and departments giving news, sixty one percent of those surveyed said they trust that information. It, it drops. It, it's interesting. There's only forty nine percent trust in mainstream media. And it it just keeps going down from there. Thirty three percent of、uh, the survey respondents trust political parties and their leaders. No surprise there. Thirty、uh, percent friends and family. I, I thought that might be higher.、Uh, and then it goes down to twelve、uh, percent for partisan、uh, sites. Doing the doing the survey, guys. What was the most surprising information that you got back? I think there are a couple、uh, things we can、uh, we can highlight. So certainly, it was good to see that.、Uh, The majority of Canadians do trust our public uh, uh, service and government ministries and departments, and it kind of reflects the fact that at least、uh, in, in Ontario we see a lot of people following、uh, like quarantine and lockdown orders, more or less. And this is a, a huge contrast to what we're seeing in the U.S., for example, where、mm-hmm. there, there is not as、uh, the trust towards the government is not as high as here. So I mean, it's a reflection of the fact that、uh, we are a higher trust society, and the U.S., for example, as you're watching, is becoming more of a, what they call a low trust society, where people don't necessarily trust their neighbors, and、um, you're supposed to pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. Here, we have、um, a more communal way of looking at things, comparatively speaking. To our cousins down in the U.S., and you can see that reflected in the fact that again,、uh, there was a the there was a, you know 61 percent trust in the, the government. We still believe that government can deliver goods and services here in Canada. I mean, there's always stories of things failing, but overall, people are still you know trusting of the government and、uh, public officials. The other interesting fact we discovered、uh, that even though only 22 percent of、um, survey respondents rely on social media to get News about COVID, there, there, you know, over ninety percent of them use some form of social media. And what happens that even if you're not actively looking for information about uh, uh, COVID nineteen, you may still encounter misinformation. So then we ask, well, if you do encounter misinformation, what you believed 
is misinformation or false claims or misleading claims about COVID. What do you do about it? And so the interesting result was that not a lot of Canadians, actually majority of Canadians, about 56% of them, didn't flag misinformation content to social media platforms. Uh, we expected that to be much higher because social media platforms rely in part uh, for users to indicate and flag inappropriate or questionable content. And then once the content is flagged, then that's been passed uh, on to fact check. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things um, in the lead up to um, the pandemic is that many of the social media companies put out press releases in um, early April touting the fact that, you know, they are um, making it easier than ever for um, people to report things that they see that might not be right. And yet the survey is telling us that, you know, the majority of 56% did not use the reporting feature. So for us, that's interesting because we want to know, like, why is that the case? So for us, that's some of the future research that we would want to get into is why is there a mismatch between what the companies are saying and what the people are actually doing who are using their platform? Maybe it's not that easy. It, it brings up a really int- interesting question, guys, when it comes to reporting misinformation online. You said that 50 56% didn't, according to the survey. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's because people are lazy and don't care or to your point they don't know how like it, it, it it's not easy for them to do it yeah like i said that's us we don't know and that's one of the line of research that we're probably going to be digging into is basically um doing um you know um, survey and asking people specifically about that do you have and any so, thoughts as to why i think it's a mix of factors as you also indicated, it could be that people just don't feel uh, their actions will influence and impact uh, the quality of information on the platform. In part, it's because platforms are not that transparent uh, when it comes to reporting inappropriate content. And it's not just uh, when it comes to COVID-related misinformation or misleading news. It's all kinds of flagging activities. When we as a users report something or flag something that is inappropriate, it's a black box for us. So essentially, uh, we don't know whether the action was taken or sometimes if we do get a notice that, hey, you flagged something and that content was eventually removed, that may take uh, days, weeks, and maybe months sometimes. So I think the lack of transparency may uh, kind of discourage uh, future reporting from Mm -hmm. uh, credible users. Reminds me of studies they've done at babies at orphanages uh, who at the beginning they'll cry a lot but when they cry and nobody comes to help them they learn to stop crying that's why they see a lot of babies at orphanages um, they don't cry a lot same thing with social media users they've been taught over the last decade and a half that the, the reporting feature is like those um, button that you push at the re- at the red light waiting for the um, walk signal to start you don't know if that uh, button <laughs> is just there for you to push or does it really work no, that is an excellent, uh, a couple excellent points. But, uh, you know, I, I say to the listeners right now, if you do come across misinformation uh, online, report it. Uh, hopefully <laughs> they're doing something about it. I mean, that's the only way that they're going to find out, essentially, if there is, you know, crappy information up on Facebook or, or Twitter. And so I encourage the listeners to figure out the tools uh, to do that. And to your point, yeah, these social media giants, they need to make that uh, a little more uh, representative of, you know, when someone does that, like they need to get feedback, 
you know, if they get no feedback, like you said, it goes into a black hole. They need to follow up with some type of uh, communication system to acknowledge that, uh, you know, that person has uh, flagged that piece of content and if there was any action uh, taken uh, on that. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to follow a hashtag, film your hospital. You might have heard of this uh, hashtag uh, in social media. Well, it was a load of bunk and we will talk with the guys about how they trace that. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We are talking with the folks at the COVID-19misinfo.org website. I encourage all listeners to check this website out. It basically helps set the facts straight on what is right and what is wrong about the information we are getting about the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's uh, delve uh, into a uh, uh, an example uh, from your uh, website uh, of uh, misinformation. And uh, this was kind of uh, an, an interesting uh, one. It uh, concerned the uh, hashtag film your hospital. Tell, tell us uh, what that uh, social campaign was all about and uh, how your website, uh, you know, dug in into that uh, campaign and, you know, found out, uh, you know, where, you know, the, the main spots of that were and whether it was false or true information. In late March, um, we noticed that there was a new hashtag that was gaining some traction. The hashtag was film your hospital. So we were able to basically see, uh, go back and get the data of the very first time that particular hashtag film your hospital was used. What was that about and film your hospital? So film your hospital, there's a conspiracy or a hoax out there that believe that the whole pandemic is a hoax. And one of the way that the uh, conspiracy theorists are hoping to prove that it's a hoax is to show that the hospitals are empty. The waiting rooms are empty. The parking lots at hospitals are empty. So their theory is that um, if these things are empty, it must mean that the whole thing, the pandemic as a whole, is a hoax. Um, what they don't take into account um, is you know, leading up to um, the uh, pandemic, the CDC and other health authorities recommended to doctors and hospitals to uh, delay um, uh, procedures, to um, separate um, um, emergency areas so that uh, people with heart attacks and broken legs can go there without uh, getting uh, a secondary infection from people who might have COVID. So there's a different wing for COVID. So as a result, I mean, there are just simple explanation for why these things are happening. But what they were doing is they were encouraging people to break quarantine and then go drive out to these uh, hospitals and film them. And somehow that empty hospital or empty parking lot is somehow evidence that the whole thing is a hoax. But basically that's the gist of it. (laughs) And so we try to understand uh, uh, how this campaign, this meme, Film Your Hospital, spread on social media. uh, And who are the people behind it or or users behind it? Uh, and so one of the concerns that um, we have that campaigns like this are being propagated by kind of fake uh, automated accounts and maybe even influenced by uh, f- foreign power, you know, foreign um, uh, countries. But what we discovered that actually uh, uh, quite influential uh, users on extreme right in the U.S. Uh, were at the beginning of this campaign, they propel uh, this belief and ask their followers to go and film their hospitals. Uh, so real influential users. Um, and then you have a lot of Trump supporters who joined the campaign and started propagating 
uh, and a second wave of this campaign happened uh, on, on Twitter. So in fact, we discovered that even though there were some coordination uh, in, in what Twitter calls inauthentic behavior that led to Twitter blocking some of these accounts permanently or temporarily, overall, the whole kind of network that spread this belief and hashtag and calls were actually supported by pro-Trump, uh, far-right politi politicians. And then the third wave, what happened is actually it went international. So you have... Uh, uh, secondary spread outside the U.S. of this campaign. So you see now people in Brazil, for example, uh, asking their supporters to go to, the, to their hospitals. And so the meme, Kill Me Hospital, now morphs, and then they're using the uh, Portuguese language to, to do the same in, in Brazil. So it, it was a hoax. So what happens then? Uh, you know, they, they have that hashtag, Film Your Hospital. Does Twitter take that down, that hashtag? Or they just go well, after nobody, the accounts? Nobody owns hashtags. Uh, so essentially anybody can use the hashtag. And that's one of the beauties of uh, Twitter. And now other platforms kind of adopted this hashtag model because it helps us to identify the topics that we like to be part of, uh, that we want to follow. Uh, so essentially anybody can use a hashtag. What right. Twitter does essentially, they look at what they call coordinated and inauthentic behavior. Essentially when you have a bunch of accounts are trying to quickly share s some kind of information in a way that humans will not do. And so Twitter say, well, this is against our uh, you know, platform policy and we're gonna try to stop you. But of course, uh, it's very easy to create a Twitter account. It's one of the beauties of the platforms that uh, people can join the platform. But at the same time, it's a downside that uh, bad actors can inf infiltrate the platform and try to propagate that hashtag and make it appearance uh, also to look like it's uh, something that's um, widespread. But in reality, it may not be. So they would basically go after those accounts that were propagating this and shut them down? The only if they are behaving in a way that's inauthentic, meaning they are free to have their opinion. They can, uh, if they believe that this is a hoax, they can continue to believe that. Um, but if they do something in the video or share information that violates the term of service, then it will be taken down. Simply because, again, the, uh, they, um, I feel for them simply because they're walking a fine line between giving everybody a platform, but at the same time, they know that the platform sometimes will help to propagate things that can harm people. We're talking with the gentleman behind COVID19misinfo.org. You need to go to this website to, to get the facts on uh, the COVID-19 uh, virus. If you've come across information on social media or the web and you want to make sure uh, what you're reading is true, this is a fantastic resource for that. Uh, we've got uh, Anatoly Gruzd and Philip Mai who have joined us uh, today. I want to thank you both uh, for coming on the program. No problem. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. We're going to have to take a break now. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back shortly right after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. Don't forget to visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Got lots of uh, great content up there, everything from how-to videos to first looks on all the latest uh, gadgets, tips and tricks to make uh, your tech life a little bit easier. We also have our newsletter. If you subscribe to that, you are entered to win our monthly contest. We're giving away a Belkin wireless charger for uh, smartphones right now. And again, you subscribe, you're entered to win. And not only that, you're entered to win all the contests going forward. I want to thank uh, everyone who helps put the show together. And don't forget to listen to the app show every Sunday here on Global News Radio, CKNW 980 at 10 a.m. See you next time.